let's get into the Word of God tonight. Tonight I want to speak on seven things that are going to happen in your future. Seven things that are going to happen in your future. This is a prophetic word, but it's also a very encouraging word, and I hope that it encourages you before you leave tonight. Now I'm going to be primarily in the book of Exodus chapter 33. I'm also going to visit, of course we can't talk about the future without going to Jeremiah 29:11, and you know that one already, so you don't have to go there. I'm also going to go to Psalm 139 here in just a minute, and some of you know that one already, so I'm going to hit those two, and then I'm going to stay in, in Exodus 33. So that's that's where you probably need to open your Bible because the other two will be a hit and run. And then when we get to Exodus, we're going to camp out there and just dissect the scriptures together. Um, some things in your future are uncertain. I get that. And it's real easy to lose hope. You know what hope is? It's really one thing. It's looking forward to the future. That's all it really means. It means I'm looking forward to something. So think about something right now you're looking forward to. And immediately you'll start feeling joy on the inside. So people that lose hope are people that aren't looking forward to anything anymore. They, they, they don't have a future to look forward to. If you like Christmas and you think about Christmas, then it makes you happy all, it's September, but you get happy all, all, all of a sudden because you are looking forward to it. If you like vacation and it's coming up and you start thinking about vacation, you get excited about vacation. You're not even there yet. You know, I'm going to Israel in November. I'm already excited about that. That's hope. That's something to look forward to. So think about that in, in, your, in your heart. Hope basically is an emotion that lets us know we have faith. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So when we have hope, that is the emotion that lets us know we have faith. So sometimes we try to, we try to psych ourselves into faith. That's not how it works. If I can just believe, I can say it loud enough and 10 times in a row, whoo, I think I got it, I think I got it. That's not how faith works. No, faith is hope. Faith is looking forward to something. So faith is something that you don't have to convince yourself up or, or, or hype yourself into or talk yourself into. It is something that you believe is gonna happen and you are already looking forward to it. You already painted the room. You already, you already cleaned the car. You've already bought the groceries. I mean, it's coming. It's just like having guests coming to your house. And hopefully you're looking forward to that. Some people, I get that. But, uh, but if you're looking forward to them coming, you prepare for that. And that's what your heart does. Well, I realized in the times we live, there's a lot of uncertain things. And therefore, life can seem a bit uncertain. Well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if, the, what if this goes on? And what, what, if, what if they do this? And what if this rises or falls or whatever? So there's a lot of things in life that are uncertain, but there are some things in life that are certain. And I want to talk to you about tonight about things that are certain, not things that are uncertain. So finding God's will is something you have to seek for. You you rarely stumble into it. Sometimes you wake up and say, oh my goodness, I'm in God's will. I didn't even know it. That doesn't happen most of the time. God said, seek me and you'll find me. So you have the perfect will of God and you have the permissive will of God. Now some, some people don't see it that way, but that's kind of how I see it. There are things that God says, man, I just wish you'd have followed me. I, I would have had you in a different place by now. You'd have been at the top of that mountain instead of halfway up by now if you just followed me. But the Lord says, I love you so much, I'm going to meet you where you're at. So sometimes we just go our own way and we don't consult him and we don't seek him. And so we end up in places that are permissible by the Lord, but not the perfect will of God. And so God has this permissive will that he allows, and then God has this perfect will that he planned. 
And, uh, and so sometimes when you want the perfect will of God, you have to seek him for that. So Jeremiah 29, 11, most of the time, and I'm going to quote this from the NIV because that's the one that's on all the plaques and everything. I'm going to preach from the NKJV in a moment, but uh, I'll be... I'll quote this one from the, from the NIV because you know it. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So that is from the, the New International Version. I think they didn't pull that from the NIV. So anyway, whatever version that is, it's a good one too. But I just quoted from the New International Version. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So here's the other part of that that you need to see. So we stop there, we put that on our, we post that on Facebook and then we jump around a lot and then we think, oh, okay, it's good, God's got a plan, God's got a plan, but then we stop there and we don't read the next verse because there's more to that than that verse. So you have to read verse 12 and 13 too. Now listen to how that goes. Then, then, everybody say then. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when, everybody say when, when you seek me with all of your heart. Okay, that's the rest of that verse. I have a plan for you. Then you will know it when you seek me. So if you come after me, you won't know this plan. You can't just, you can't just put this bumper sticker on your car and, and shout all day long. It doesn't work that way. No, you have to seek me and find me to find out where I'm at and what the next step for your life is. And so we have to finish Jeremiah 29, 11 if we want the plan of the Lord. So let me read this 12 and 13 again. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when, everybody say when, when you seek me with all of your heart. Okay, so finding God's perfect will is about seeking God. And when you seek God, you ask him to show you. And that's the story we're gonna go into in just a moment. Where's the other part that you need to know because Psalm 139 is a powerful passage, but Psalm 139 has a part in there. I wanna start in verse 16 that I want you to hear. Your eyes saw my substance being yet Unformed. Okay, so let me explain this um, because I don't talk about this. In, no, you know, here it is. Here it is. I'm, I'm going to read that. I thought it, this was not the verse that had this in there, but I was wrong. Okay, so listen to this. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed in your book. Everybody say your book. In your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when yet there were none of them. Okay, so let me explain something to you. How many of you have ever heard of the book of life? Okay, uh, let me tell you how that works. You have a book of life. I have a book of life. The book of life is not a big book with all the information of the world in it. Doesn't work like that, no. There is a book for me and there's a book for you. That is why the Bible says on the day of judgment, the books were opened. What books? The books of life. Now how do I get to heaven? I have to be found in a particular book of life. You may remember that one? The Lamb's book of life. So the only way I can go to heaven is if I have called upon Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So the only way into heaven is if I'm in the Lamb's book of life, okay? So there is a book of life written for you. 
the Lord says, I know my thoughts that I have toward you, and they're numerous. So your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were written the days fashioned for me when yet none of them were. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them. So here's what you need to know about the perfect will of God. God has a plan. That's why all of us are created unique. There's not another you, so don't try to be anybody else because there's not another you. You are the right size. You are the right height. You have the right air, hair color. Well, maybe I don't, but uh, that's another story for another day. But uh, you have the right hair color. You have the, you have the, all these things we want to change about ourselves. I have to have a little fun with you. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll give you the name on the bottle if you want it. I don't care. I'm not insecure with that. It's going to be this way when I die. So you'll never know what it really is. So I'm just going there already. I've already told the salon, you're the last person they're going to call before they put me in the ground because it's going to look like this when I go out. All right. So here we go. So here's the thing. We, we always want to be somebody else, and that's why the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians not to compare ourselves to other people. But we have a sphere of influence that we've been given, and we're supposed to not compare ourselves with other people and not compare ourselves with other gifts because your assignment is not the same as theirs. You're supposed to be uniquely you. You're not supposed to be someone else. You're supposed to be you. So celebrate you. Celebrate the God in you and what God you want you to be. So in this book, there are days fashioned for you and yet there, none of them existed. So God has a plan just for you. He has a Charlie Ellis plan. He has a Brian Cutshaw plan. He has a Michael Roberts plan that is for you. But he says the only way you can know this plan is to seek me and find me. It's not just gonna roll out one day, and I know we want the easy road, but it's not gonna happen. You have to seek me and find me. Then I will show you. Here's what God does with the plan. He shows you usually the next step. That's how it works. I wish he'd just show me 10 years, but then I, I know I'd mess it up. I'd, listen, I know it's gonna happen in year eight. Let's go ahead and get it on. You know, let's go now. That's not gonna happen. God's gonna show me this step, and it's like building a bridge. When I put that, when I put that plank there, then I can step on the next one, and I can step on the next one, and before you know it, I've made it to the other side. So God shows you sometimes a step or a seasonal assignment, and your assignment can change from season to season. What God asked you to do last year may not be what he asked you to do next year. And so you have to be open to that because your life moves in cycles and seasons. All right, so here's the story of Moses in one of these transitional times of his life where Moses is 120 years of age and he is seeking God. He knows there's a book. He knows there's a plan. But Moses is seeking God because he doesn't know what that plan is. And so he's asking God two questions. The two questions he's asked, I'm going to go ahead and pick this up in, um, in chapter 33 of Exodus verse uh, 12. Chapter 33 verse 12. So this is a conversation between God and Moses. Then Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. So notice this. These two, you have to understand this conversation. Now, the way it's been written here is a little hard to understand that Moses is asking God two questions. He said, first of all, you told me to bring up these people. So here's his first question. Are they ever going to get there? 
I mean, we've been in this wilderness 40 years. Come on, Lord. Are they ever going to get there? Are they, uh, you've killed half of them. I mean, you know, half of them, we have buried them every day. We've only got one generation left in Joshua and Caleb there. I mean, is there, are they ever going to make it? And maybe you've been at that place in your life, say, Lord, I'm doing what you told me to do. I thought it would be different than this. Because I know I'm doing what you, I'm still on my last assignment because I haven't been given a new assignment. So he's asking this question, Lord, he's saying, um, are they ever going to get into the promised land? And here's the second question. He's saying, Lord, you see all this, all this, 120, God, 120. He said, who are you going to send with me? He says, in other words, he said, who is my successor? Moses is getting old. He, He understands that. He has been leading for a long time. He's been, he's, he was spent 40 years in, um, in, in, in Egypt. He spent the next 40 years in Ethiopia. And then he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness. And so he's ready. He, he's ready for God to take him home. And he knows that his time is coming. The Lord has already shown him that. All right, so here's his two questions. God, will the children of Israel ever make it through? Are they ever going to get over to Canaan? And secondly, who's going to be my successor? Because the Lord hadn't showed him any of this. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to hope in the word. Look in verse 13. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, everybody say past. Okay, so he's talking about the past. If I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. Now he's talking about the future, that I may find grace. If I found grace past, show me again that I may find grace future. You get that part? Okay, so he's saying, the same God that led me through, I need you to tell me what my next step is. God, I'm a little lost here, and I need you to show me what my next step is and where I need to go from here. And consider that this nation is your people. Okay, so here's this conversation. God answers him back, and here's what God says in verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do also the thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. So this is what he said. Okay, Moses, you want to know something? You have found grace in my sight in the past, and I'm telling you, you have now found grace in my sight in the future. So just tell me what you want. So here's what Moses says. Please show me your glory, verse 18. Please show me your glory. All right, we got to camp here for just a second because I know we, there's a lot of songs about this. There's a lot of sermons about this, but I want to make sure that you fully understand what Moses is asking for. I mean, we think sometimes the glory of God is just having a good worship service and a long altar call, right? That's, that's the show me your glory. Woo, man, we had glory tonight. That's kind of glory. That's a type of glory. But that's not what Moses is asking for. So when you, when you break down the word glory, this particular word, there's other words that say glory, but this particular word in Hebrew is spelled kaf bet vav dalet. Okay, so some people some people pronounce this 
kavod because it has the bait in there, the B sound. Some people pronounce it kavod because, or kavod and kabod, uh, because it has the, the, the vav in there. So it's according to how you pronounce it because it has two letters in there. So it's pronounced interchangeably, kavod or kabod, either way. Here's what you need to understand, that every Hebrew letter, and I don't have this on the screen for you, but every Hebrew letter also has a, has a picture that goes with it, a symbol that goes with it. So here is the symbol of the cough. The cough is the palm of the hand, all right? So the palm of the hand, and the bait is the picture of, of the house or the family. Sometimes it's portrayed as a tent, and so it's the, it's the place where you live. So you have a hand, you have the house or the family, and then you have the valve, which is an iron nail, all right? It's a spike, it's an iron nail. And then finally you have the dalet, which is an open door. Okay, so this is where this idea of, of kavod came from, glory. So we say, God, show us the weight of your glory. So here's what this is, how you feel that word. It's the hand of God coming down on the house, okay? So you feel it. It's the hand, that's where we say, I feel the weight of his glory. And there are times in a worship service that the glory of God will be so tangible that you can physically feel it. It's like something, it's like a pressure that is pushing you. And, you, and it's a wonderful pressure. It's not a bad feeling. It's a glorious, you never want it to leave, as a matter of fact. Anybody been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So it's the weight of his glory. But what's interesting about this is that there's three mysteries that are wrapped up in this word kavod that are, that because it's such an unusual word, this word in this way is only used this time in the scriptures, in the Torah. It's not used this way. Other times it refers to something different, but the way Moses is using this word, show me your glory, it takes on a completely different meaning and God does something that he's never done before. Kavod is usually God putting his hand on you. But in this scripture, it's God putting his hand on you, then taking his hand away. Ah, interesting. It's God putting his hand on you. This is what God said, I'm gonna read this to you. So if you're reading ahead, you're already there. He says, I'm gonna put my hand over you in the cleft of the rock, and then I'm gonna take my hand away and show you my glory. I'm going to take my hand off. I'm going to let you know it's me so you'll know what you see was from me. It was not your imagination. It was not somebody else. It was not, it was not something you saw. It's not a bad dream. No, I'm going to put my hand on you first. You're going to feel that it was me. Then when I remove my hand, you're going to know what you just saw was also me. I'm going to show you my glory. <clears throat> so here's what's interesting about that. When you look at these mysteries that have been uh, unfold in this. The first one indicates what I just explained, the weight of glory, the hand on the house. But see, that's not the whole word because you also have a nail and you also have a door. So when you feel the weight on the house, it's what the Jewish people believe is that it is the hand on the nail, uh, the, the hand on the house or on the family actually, because it's sometimes it's family or house. So the hand on the family and it's securing you with the nail to keep you from passing through the door because the door represents life and death. So when God's presence was there and the glory was there, they, they taught it keeps you from death, all right? So we need God's presence because his hand is on the family and we're secure with the nail 
and it keeps us from death. But then here comes Jesus messing the whole thing up because now we get to the New Testament and the glory of the Son is revealed and we see the hand of God on the family, but this time the nail is holding him to the cross. And the reason the nail is there, if you, if you research that word vav, the reason that the symbol of the nail is to connect two things that are not connected, all right? So it's to connect two things that are not connected. So here you have Jesus. The hand of God is on him. He is on the cross. Now he comes off the cross because the nail that was nailed in his hand, he is now he is now separated from the nail and he opens the door between life and death so that you're no longer afraid to walk through it. And now he makes a way where there was no way and you no longer have to fear death because now you can walk through the door of death into the presence of God. And that's why Paul said, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So Jesus' glory changed it all. So when you see the glory of God, the glory of God was to secure you with the weight of his glory, but the glory of the Son was to free you from the fear of death and let you walk through. So when Moses uses this passage, now the, the word kavod is actually interpreted two words. The first word is, is weight. The second word is like light. It's actually the word splendor or brilliance. So it's like a bright light, and that's what Moses is asking for. Moses said, okay, God, you said you love me, then I want you to shine the light on my future. Let me see what's in front of you. Okay, now get this. When you seek God face to face, um, I need a volunteer. I don't want to, can I pick on you, buddy? Thank you, son. Oh, son, listen to me. Man, I, I don't think I've ever called you son before, but I guess it's just, I'm prophesying here. All right, so, so when I'm seeking you face to face, I'm going to see what you see. All right, if I'm side by side with God, but if when I'm seeking God's face, this is what I'm asking. Show me what you're looking at. That's seeking God's face. Show me what you see. That's what, anytime you're reading in the scripture with someone seeking God's face, they're seeking an answer for something that God knows that they don't know. So let me see what you see. Show me, show me what you're looking at, God. So here's what he's saying, thank you. He's seeking God's face, and he's saying show me what you see and shine light on it so I'll know where to go. So he's asked these two questions. God, I just need to know two things. I need to know if the children of Israel are ever gonna make it and I need to know who my successor is and here is how God answers him. And I love this. This is where we get into these seven things that are about to happen to you. Here's what God said in the answer. Verse 19. I will make my goodness pass before you. So here's what he tells him. I will make my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. By the way, these are called the seven I wills of God. So every time you see I will, you could underline it or highlight it there in your Bible. I will make my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Okay, now stop. Let me, let me, let me stop there. Because this has been highly misunderstood and misinterpreted mis, uh, in the scriptures. No man can see God's face and live. What does that mean? No, the Bible's already told us Moses is seeing God face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. So that's, that would be incongruent with the rest of scripture. So that's not what it's talking about. What he's saying is, okay, I'm looking at the future, Moses, but you're not going to live to see it. You still want to see it? He's basically telling Moses, you're gonna die. 
He's saying, Moses, okay, you're 120. You're asking me who your successor is. I can see the future. Do you still want me to tell you the future even though you're not going to live in the future? That's what he's actually saying. Sometimes in the translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, sometimes the translation, the meaning of it often gets lost in various translations. But he said, you cannot see my face and live, for no man can see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand and I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you will not, will not be seen. So Moses said, all right, God, I have no idea what all this means, but let's go for it. Let's do it. All these seven things you are about to do for me because I'm seeking your face and asking for the future. So let me go over these seven I wills of God. I think these guys are gonna have this on the screen for you. Let's go over these real quick. The first thing he says is, I will be good to you. Do you guys have that back there? I think we looked at it before service. Uh, there we go. Seven things that are gonna happen to you in your future. Well, that's kind of the end of the sermon, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep that one anyway. It looks like I've got a misspelled word there too. Sorry, that's the ISO in me working. That's my job. No, that's not either. That's all right. Just forget it, guys. Let's go back to it. I'll just read it to you. I will be good to you. That's the first one. I will explain the unpronounceable name to you. I will give you grace. I will have compassion. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will put my hand over you, and I will show you my glory. Okay, so these are, the, these are the seven things that God said he will do, the seven things that God said he will do. I will be good to you. Let's break these down real quick. Here's the first thing that God says is going to happen in your future if you, everybody say if, if you are seeking the face of God, if you're seeking for God's perfect will for your life, if you're seeking him, he says you will find him. If you're asking God, show me my future, he said here's the first thing that's gonna happen to you if you're asking me about your future and I'm in it. He said I will be good to you. I will be good to you. Now, I don't know if that's enough for you, but I tell you, I could go home shouting all day long just to know that wherever I go, God's going to be good to me. If I go home, it's going to be good. If I come to church, it's going to be good. If I get up tomorrow morning, it's going to be good. Even in a battle, it's going to be good. It may not be good, but all I got to do is keep walking because it's going to be good. God said, I will be good to you. Now, you know what that word actually means? means good in Hebrew. It means to go out with joy. That's what it actually means. That means whatever you're in right now, you're going to go out with joy. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. In the valley, yes, but you're going out with joy. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand his kingdom around the world.